Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Once more, welcome everybody to worship today. Those of you in Perry, Oklahoma, Pastor Brian Ahern, we will see you next week. Uh, Brian and Tina Ahern will be with us. They are coming, I guess they're celebrating their wedding anniversary with us, which is cool. Uh, they're going to be here with us next week. Tina is uh, the, the baking queen of Perry, Oklahoma. She runs the bakehouse, uh, the coffee shop there on the square in Perry, Oklahoma. So I think she's going to offer a, a baking class for anybody interested in maybe making some holiday scones and other exotic baked goods. Uh, so pay attention for that next week. You'll have an opportunity to hear from Pastor Brian next week and what God is doing there in Perry, Oklahoma. We love you guys. Can't wait to be with you. Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be today to talk about missions and to talk about Christmas and to talk about what God is doing in our lives. As a pastor, frequently people expect me to have a lot of answers and I've never claimed to have any at all. So I don't know where that, where that idea would, would, would come from. Honestly, there's a lot in Scripture that we can read and not understand. And, and let's be honest, there's a lot that we can disagree on. And uh, in, in the Christian family, even in this church, there's just not unanimous agreement about everything and not even everything that we read in Scripture. We just don't always interpret or come out in the same place. That's just the way it is. However, there is one area, there's one issue on which we must have agreement and, and, and on which we must be perfectly clear and in which, honestly, we can't have a whole lot of disagreement because it pertains to the, to the matter of our salvation, and that would be the person of Jesus Christ. We can maybe disagree about creation and evolution. We might could disagree on some social or moral issues, but when it comes to Jesus, we have to get this right. We have to preach this right, you have to hear this right, and you have to believe this right because we're talking about your salvation. And that brings us to the book of Colossians. Now, Paul, of course, was a church planter, and Paul had been a part of planting a church in a city in the ancient Roman Empire called Colossae. And there at Colossae, uh, the church had grown, but actually the church had begun to drift. And there are now in the church some teachers that are Christian teachers, but they don't have it right when it comes to Jesus. They actually have begun to teach that Jesus isn't really fully God. But instead, there's like, they're, they're human beings, and then there's God, and then there are a lot of steps in between humans and God, like angels would fall in there, and, and they put Jesus in that continuum, in that sort of stair-step universe between humans and God. They put Jesus kind of maybe right in here. He's, he's more than us, but less than God. And Paul's alarmed at this. Now, that may sound harmless to you because, honestly, that's still probably the way most of the world sees the person of Jesus Christ. Probably better than I am, but not quite God. But, but that's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus is fully human, exactly as you and I are, except without sin. It's exactly as we are, except without sin. And at the very same time, fully God exactly as God is. He's the only, only one in heaven and earth that you can ever say that about. Fully God and fully human. You have to get that right. You have to understand that. Now, maybe one of the reasons why Christmas is, is, is the rare time in our society when Christians can talk about Jesus is because nobody's threatened by a baby in a manger. And that's why still the world will let you sing about the baby in the manger, walk through Greenwood Mall today, and they're playing songs about Jesus. 
But it's usually the baby Jesus, you know, the, 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 the Ricky Bobby kind of Jesus in the manger that threatens no one. But Paul wants to make sure the Colossian Christians get this right. And that is why he writes in this letter to these people, he writes this amazing poem. It's maybe a hymn, but it starts in chapter 1, verse 15. He wants to make sure they get this right. Jesus is one that we can certainly tell the story of the baby in the manger. We can certainly talk about how he emptied himself of everything that pertained to his divinity and came down and became just like us. He became human, flesh and blood, just like us. But if that's the only way you think of Jesus, if that's the only story about Jesus you know, you need to take a look at Jesus from maybe 30,000 feet. And that's what Paul's going to do right here. This is the Christmas story from above, not from the manger, but from God's perspective. Don't miss it. We can disagree on a lot of things, but this we have to get right. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Get this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the what? Visible image of the invisible God. Amazing. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He existed before anything was created. And is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth through Jesus. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Who are we talking about? Jesus. He's first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. Christ, the very fullness of God. You understand that? In his fullness, God was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace with everything. In verse 21, this includes you. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body and as a result he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fall now who are we talking about now us those who believe and it says we are what before him Without a single fault. That's going to take some explaining. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the gospel, the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, 
have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the gospel. It's about Jesus. Let me show you something. Don't don't freak out if you don't see this very well because it's a lot to look at. But Brittany, can you help me out? Um, What do you think we're looking at? It's labeled at the top. It's a... It's a map. It's a map from the 13th century. This is a German map from the 1200s. It is a map of what? What do you see? It's it's a map of the world. This is a a view, a perspective of the entire world. So for that matter, like I say, if, if you don't feel like you can see much looking at it, let me explain it to you, but don't freak out. That's the entire known world. It's everything that they knew about in the 1200s. Now, I'm pretty impressed, and we could talk about it. You could write a paper on this maybe, but I think it's amazing that they saw the world as round 200 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Kind of fun, huh? Understand that? Christians in Germany in the 1200s had a concept of the world as round, but their concept of the world is still amazing. Amazing, and in some ways far beyond yours. Look, look closely. Look closely. I know it's hard to see, but just look closely. What do you see at the very top of the world there? Do you see a little bitty face? Yeah, it's a little face, and, and it's almost impossible to see, but when you get home, Google this and look at it closely. There on the far, far right-hand side, if you'll notice, there's a, a, an itty-bitty hand with a nail print in it and then on the other side same side if you go all the way to to the left hand side there's another hand with a a nail print and then there at the bottom if you look closely you'll see two feet with nail prints as well what do you think that's about who is that yeah it's, it's it's Jesus this is a map of the world but it has Jesus. And then if you begin to look closely at the map, you'll see some other things that are really, really interesting. There in the center, you can see that little red square there. What do you think that is? It's the center of the universe for them. It's the center of the world. It's where everything, everything comes together. And what do you think that is in the middle of the world? It's an empty tomb. It's the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the world, the center of everything, the city of Jerusalem and the empty tomb. Now, around and everything and in between everything else, you'll see the world. You'll see all the oceans and bodies of water that they knew about. You'll see all of the nations and and, and cities and important people that they knew about. I mean, it's the year 1250 they don't know about everything but everything they know is there and everything that they know about is somehow situated in reference to Christ interesting everything in the world is somehow organized in Christ who holds it all together with his nail pierced hands I think it's interesting because I would I'd probably like to look at the Ebstorf map next to the map of your world. You know what I mean? I'd be interested to see the way you would map your world, the world you live in. I'd be real interested to know what would be in the center of your world. You with me? Y'all looking at me like you don't know who I am. 
I would be interested to know what would be in the very center of your world because for these Christians in the 13th century, it was still Christ. It was his resurrection that defined everything. It was his resurrection that let them know where they were in the universe. Do you understand? I'm interested to think about what would be in the middle of my world and your world because something tells me by the way we live our lives, we're not orienting ourselves by Christ and by his resurrection. I don't know, I don't know you that well, but my hunch is for some of you, in the middle of your world would probably be a dollar sign. It's probably all about money for some of us. We think about money all, all the time, and we work hard just so we can have more money and, and buy more things. For a lot of us, it's, it's just about money. Others of us, right smack in the middle of all that, would probably be our fantasy life. For some of us, our whole life is about desire, maybe sexual desire or sexual fantasy. Some of us wake up in the morning and it's the very first thing we think about and the last thing we think about before we close our eyes and go to sleep. I mean, our, our minds are sort of taken over with the kind of lust that would not be holy. Let's be honest. And for some of us, the center of our world is just that, our inward thought life, our sinful desires are sort of the way we orient ourselves in the world. Others of you, it might be a person, maybe your spouse. And Some of us have wonderful spouses. I got the best one, but some of y'all's are okay. You got a great spouse, and maybe you put your spouse as the center of your world. But you know, you remember, right, when you stood at the altar that day 5,000 years ago and you made those wedding vows, you remember the preacher was honest with you. You made vows, and the vows had only one condition. It was unconditional love until when? Yeah, yeah death. It's, it's just probably not wise to put something temporary in the very center of your world, even if it is your spouse or your marriage, because I'm telling you, it's temporary. One or the other of you is going to bury one or the other of you. you. You can't make ultimate what was never created to be ultimate. What's in the center of your world? Because the amazing thing is that Paul talks about Christ, and he says that Christ is, start with me, verse 15, the visible image of the invisible God. Visible image, the word there is, the Greek word is icon. He's the icon. He is the visible image of the invisible God. God, we cannot see. God the Father, in all eternity, we cannot see him. No eye has ever seen him. But Paul says something radically amazing here, that Christ, a man who walked the earth, Christ, Jesus Christ, yes, born in a manger in a place called Bethlehem, slipped into the world as quietly as winter snow. Do you understand? That man, Jesus, turns out, Paul says, is the visible image of an invisible God. In other words, if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. If you want to understand what God is like, look at what Jesus is like. He is the visible image of an invisible God. Please spread the word. Please spread the word. Because there are a lot of people in the world who think they don't believe in God or they think that they don't really appreciate the God that we preach because they look at us. They look at us. And sometimes we do that as well. We look at, at people, we look at Christians, or we look at churches, and we draw conclusions about what God must be like. So if Christians are racist, 
We assume that God must be a racist. Or if Christians are not loving, we can't imagine that there is a God who is love. Or if Christians can't forgive, or if Christians can't get along, we just assume that God somehow can't forgive and get along. Do you understand? We make a big mistake when we try to draw conclusions about God and look at anything other than Jesus. Because he is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created. Now we can say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because he was. But that is not where he got his beginning. He is from all eternity God. Remember it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. From all eternity, God, who is three in one, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus did not spring into being in Bethlehem. Do you understand? God came down. He took on flesh. We're talking about God incarnate. Takes on a body of flesh and blood like ours. This is who Jesus is. For through him. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. I love it. He existed before anything else. And here we go, verse 17. He holds all creation together. He holds all creation together, verse 18. So he is first in everything. First in everything. First in everything. So, so back to that map of your world. Can you say, can you honestly say that Christ is first in your life? That, that Christ is first. That means that beyond pleasing everybody else in the world, you live to please Christ. It means that beyond living for anything else, you live first for Christ. It means before you think about pleasing yourself, you think about pleasing Christ. Christ must be first in everything. And just a word to parents here. If Christ is not everything to you, dad, if Christ is not everything to you, mom, he'll be nothing to your children. If he's not everything to you, mom and dad, he'll be nothing to your children. Christ must be first in everything. Because in his hands, the scripture says, everything holds together. In his hands, everything holds together. I think it was 2004 when the Nobel Prize for Science was shared by, I think it was three United States scientists who are pioneers in what they call strong force. Strong force. Strong force is an attempt to explain one of the mysteries of the universe. Go ahead and Google it. It's awesome. One of the mysteries of, of particle physics, stay with me. I'm not Bill Nye the science guy, but, but at the very center of, of, of the atom, you know, is the nucleus. And there in the nucleus, it's made up of, of particles, neutrons and protons, I believe, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Protons have a positive charge. Neutrons are neutral. Now, if you've ever played with magnets, you know that, that positive charges repel each other. If you take the two positive poles of two different magnets and put them together, what do they do? They push apart. And so this is what scientists have never been able to explain, why everything holds together at all. Because if everything is made up of atoms, particles, protons, and neutrons, and, and if, the, if one of the fundamental principles of, of physics is that positive charges push away from each other, then what keeps the very nucleus of every atom in your body from exploding into nothingness? 
What makes the protons stick together when we know that they should be pushing apart from each other? And nobody's ever explained it, and still nobody knows. These guys won an award for just naming it. They just called it something, and they can't explain it either. What'd they call it? Strong force. I hope they didn't stay up late working on that one. <laughs> strong force. Yeah. They won a Nobel Prize for naming it strong force, and all they can say is there's a strong force that keeps everything together because we really don't know why everything doesn't explode into nothing. Interesting. Paul had a little more to say about it. He said that Jesus existed before anything else, and by the way, he holds it all together. He holds it all together. But the bottom line is th things in his hands hold together. Things in your hands tend to fall apart. Not notice. What is in Jesus' hands, it, it holds but, but what is in your hands, it, it tends to fall apart. Let's be honest. Look at your relationships. Look at your life. I know some of you feel like you're doing pretty good, but, but aren't we more or, or less alike? I mean, I, I probably look pretty good because I work hard on looking good. Have you ever, ever seen the duck on the pond? You know, ducks on the pond just glide along in the water. They, they, they look, it looks amazing. It looks magical. They just, they just skate like you know, butter on a hot stove across that pond, and it looks so smooth. But have you ever, ever been able to see what's happening under the water for the duck? What's going on under the water? Yeah. yeah. You, you don't see that? You don't see any of that because the duck's just up here. But down below, it's crazy. You don't even want to ever look at what happens under the water because that duck's going at it like crazy, you understand? He has to work very hard to look that good uh, up here. And you and I are just like that. I work very hard under the water to look good up here for you guys. And a lot of my life is about that, trying to make it look like I'm holding it all together, but I'm not. I know I'm not. I know how much work it takes to give the appearance that I've got it together, but I don't. I just don't. I struggle, and you struggle too. And although on some days I, I seem to be skating along pretty good, I know, I know how on any given day it could all just blow apart. It could just fall apart because in my hands things fall apart. But everything in Christ's hands holds together. That's why you want to make double dogs sure that your life is in his hands. You want to make sure that your marriage, your, your relationships are in his hands. You want your children, you want your finances, you want your future in his hands. Things in his hands just hold together. In, in my hands, things fall apart. Now, that's the truest thing I know how to tell you. But there are other things to talk about too, I mean, aren't there? I, I say that in everything that Jesus holds, things hold together. That, that, that he is the creator of everything and he holds it all together. But if that's true, how do you explain the world? How do you explain the world? There's just a lot of misery in it. It's just the truest thing I know how to say. 
we can talk about how he's first in everything and, and how he's supreme over everything and he's holding everything together. But if he's holding this world together, I've got some questions. Because sometimes it seems like things aren't holding. There's just a lot of misery in the world. Y'all know about wasps? I, I hate them. I don't mind snakes. I'd carry a snake in my pocket. Snakes don't scare me at all, but a wasp will make me hurt myself. I, I hate them. I, I hate them. It's the best thing about tearing down the old church and moving into this church. The old church had wasps every summer day, and it would drive me nuts. I'm telling you, remember why I used to preach so short in those days? It's because if a wasp come in, I'm done. I'm done. I can't preach. It's all I can think about. I, 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 I hate them. There's a particular wasp called the Ichneumon wasp. It has two very nasty habits. Its first habit is it stings people, evil. It stings people. Its second habit, the, the female Ichneumon wasp is very interesting. It will get ready to lay its eggs, and when it's time to lay its eggs, this, this female wasp will go to a particular kind of caterpillar. Not just any, but a particular kind of caterpillar. And it will go, and it'll sting that caterpillar, but when it stings a caterpillar, it injects all of its eggs into the middle part of that caterpillar. Caterpillar thinks it survived. It thinks, ouch, but then, but then it goes on and crawls a while. But then all of those wasp eggs begin to hatch inside the caterpillar, and then they eat their way out. Yeah, see, I hate wasps. I don't tell you that story just to gross you out. The Ichneumon wasp was very important to a man named Charles Darwin, who early on was a, actually a man of faith, a, a man of very strong faith. He became, of course, the father of what we know as evolution. And in the end, a man of very questionable faith, probably not a man of faith at all at the end. But, but you know, it was the Ichneumon wasp that first made him question. Charles Darwin said, I wish that I were able, as other people are plainly able to do, I wish that I were able to look at the world and see evidence of God's design and goodness. But I can't, he said. The world simply has so much Misery. There's a lot of misery. This week, we'll take my dad to Louisville to start cancer treatments. It's dad's second cancer. There's a lot of misery in this life. I've done so many stinking funerals this year. I just hate it. Just hate it. I stood back there before I did baptism today, and I miss Fred Metter so bad. You know, that was Fred's job. He's just standing back there with people before they get baptized, and he'd lay those giant hands on their shoulders and pray for them. I just miss him. So much misery in the world. I wish sometimes I could sit in my chair, be in my office, and just talk to the people who come out one after another. There's just so much misery, even in this church. So we can talk about how everything in Jesus' hands holds together, but, 
but we're going to have to make some sort of account for the misery. To make some sort of account for when we look at the world that, that, that we proclaim was created for God, for Jesus, through Jesus, and somehow in Jesus all held together. We have to take some sort of account for the way things still seem to be falling apart miserably. So, so what does the Bible say about that? What does it actually say? The word that Paul uses here in this passage, don't miss it, is reconcile. You see, it's an amazing plan. God knows that the world is broken. When it says that everything was created for him and through him and by him, understand, it was a very different intention. The creation that God pronounced as good was good. And it was beautiful, but sin has ruined it. Not just nature, not just the cosmos, but my life and your life. Sin has ruined everything. And so now that there must be some plan, there must be some way to bring everything back. And the word user is reconcile. Through Christ, God is reconciling the world. That means he's putting everything back together. Yes, some things have fallen apart. That's not because of any sort of flaw in the design or any sort of flaw in the maker, and certainly no moral failure that belongs to Christ. You understand, it is the sin that we have brought into our lives, that we have introduced into the world, and now the world has come apart. But this is the amazing thing. God sends Jesus, and through Jesus, he's going to reconcile everything. He brings everything back together. Everything brought back together in him, everything that's crumbling, everything that has collapsed, everything that falls apart, you understand, through Jesus, it gets brought back together. This is what God is doing in the world. This is why Jesus has come. And by the way, this is what God wants to do in your life. That's why Paul can say that this, this means you. This pertains to you. Because you were once far off. You were once separated because of your sin. But one of the amazing things that Jesus has done is come into the world in order to bring you, bring you back to God, to reconcile you. The amazing things God wants to do is take all of the broken pieces of your life, put it back together. This is what he does. This is what Jesus does. Takes everything... And puts it back together. God is repairing the broken world through Jesus. And he's doing it one person at a time. One person at a time. Don't you think it's about your turn? Don't you think it's about your turn to have things put back together? Man, we can talk about the misery of the world, but we could talk about the misery in your life. Haven't you had enough of it yet? Haven't you had enough of watching things fall apart? Don't you understand? As long as you keep it in your hands, it's just going to keep falling apart around you. You can't hold it together, but Jesus can. When you bring him all of the pieces, he puts it all back together in a glorious way. You can't even imagine. And this is why Paul says, the reason I'm no longer holding my Bible is because I lost it. Okay, all right. Apologize. In my hands, nothing holds together. You understand? <laughs> Paul says, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the gospel. This good news has been preached all over the world. See, it's, it's a message that comes to me and you. And when it comes to me, it matters. Because it's life-changing. It's salvation. But, but it's a message that, that comes to me but, but truly belongs to the whole world. It's a message for the world. Back in World War II, 
in Wittenberg. There's a, a church called the Castle Church, I believe. And back in the late 30s, I believe, Hitler's youth were, were on the rise. And, and one day a group of teenagers, Hitler's youth, Adolf Hitler's youth, that they came to the Castle Church and, and there was a statue of Jesus outside there on a pedestal. And, and Hitler's youth, in, in order to show their allegiance to Adolf Hitler, um, that they took bats and clubs and they tried their best to demolish the statue of Jesus. That They were just taking it out on the, on the Jesus that was outside Castle Church. So, so they just went after it. They tried to demolish it. They really couldn't. It was stronger than bats and clubs. But, but they did a lot of damage to it and, and they toppled it from its pedestal. And then before they left, they took a can of paint and a brush and they went on the wall behind the statue there in front of the church and they wrote the words, Jesus' reign is over. Well, the village was devastated. The church was devastated. To see this beloved statue of Jesus on the, the ground and to see these words written in front of the church, Jesus' reign is over. For the longest time, nobody could do anything. They were just paralyzed by that. But, but finally, they say it, it was the teenagers, it was the youth. It was Hitler's youth who did the damage, and then it became the youth around Castle Church back in those days who decided to fix that. And so they went back out, and they, they, uh, they pushed that statue of Jesus back in its place, and they, they patched him best they could. And then they stared at those words painted on the wall, Jesus' reign is over. And one of the kids did an amazing thing. He went and picked up the very paint that Hitler's youth had used to paint that. The very paint and the brush. And he went back and added one word. Didn't erase it. Didn't paint over it. Just added one word. It was the German word for all. So now, in front of the church, the message was Jesus' reign is over Jesus' reign is over all. It, it, it is a tremendous message for the world. It, it, it's difficult because it's first a message for you. And, and in order to say that Jesus' reign is over all, you have to think about the, the map of the world of your life. And you have to think about how your life is, is oriented and, and whether truly Jesus is at the center of that. And whether Jesus truly is, is the head and the feet of, of, of your life and whether truly your world is held together in his hands. You, you've got to want that. You've got to surrender to that. Everything in his hands, it, it comes back together. It holds together. But if you've experienced that, if you know what Jesus can do, if you know his power to reconcile, if you know his power to forgive, if you know his power to take those who are far off and bring them near to God, if you know that, then you have to understand that this is a message for the world. Jesus' reign is over all. And we can't be comfortable in the fact that we know, that we've heard. We can't be comfortable in, in the fact that Jesus' reign is over us and that he's reconciled us to God. We have to care about the world of people. We have to care about those who are still far off. We have to care about those who still live in a world so broken that continues to fall apart around their hearts. We have to care about them. 
That's why Paul, even as he tries to correct the teaching of the Colossians, at the very same time, he says over and over and over, this message, this gospel, this good news is going to be preached to the world. It's very important for you there at Colossa, and it's very important for us here at Woodburn, but it doesn't begin here, and it doesn't end here. It's got to travel. It's got to move, and we have to see that it travels. It's our part. It's our duty to see that this message gets preached to the whole world. That's why missions matters. We can't rest. We can't assume that somebody else is going to take care of it. We are the body of Christ. We can't say, well, we'll just take care of our backyard and let everybody else take care of their backyard, and then the whole world gets reached. What is wrong with you? It's all God's backyard. It's all God's backyard. And if he wants to use us to reach those in Southeast Asia, if he wants to send us to help them find water and the water of life, then I want to go. And if he wants to use us in Honduras, or if he wants to use us in Germany, or wherever in the world he wants to send us, we're going to go. We have to go. This is a message for the whole world. Jesus' reign is over all. So I want you to think about two things as we wrap up today. I want you to think about them. The map of your life, the map of your world, and what's at the center of it. I want you to think about whatever it is that you imagine is holding your world together. If it's not Christ, you better get very serious about how fragile your life is. Because it's going to come apart. If you've made anything but Christ the focus of your life, it's going to fall apart. But if you will give your life to Christ, if you will give him all the pieces, he will bring it together in a way you've never imagined. This is salvation. This is what we're talking about. And if you've never been reconciled to God in this way, then why would you let another minute go by without turning to him? Beyond that, God has a big plan for our church. It's a big world, a big, broken, falling apart world. It is a big message that Christ has come to put it all together, to save the world. And it is a big task for us to do our part. And it requires, honestly, boldness, a willingness to go, a willingness to sacrifice, and a willingness to give. If it could all be done without money, I promise you, we'd do it without money. But everything costs money. And in order for us to do what God wants us to do in the coming year mission-wise, we're going to have to give big. Because it's a big mission, and it's a big world, and we're going to have to give big. I've been a pastor for 17 years. When I started 17 years ago, the economy was awesome. And so when we took up a big offering, you could sort of assume that most people would give out of the extra. Because it seemed like more people had extra. But man, the world's changed a, a lot since then. And it seems like fewer and fewer people have extra. But we have to understand that just because we don't have extra doesn't mean we don't give. 
Now we have to talk about sacrifice. Now we have to talk about giving when we actually feel that. The old saying says, give till it hurts. Well, I don't agree with that at all. The, the scripture actually says God loves a cheerful giver. So in some way, when your heart is right, giving's not supposed to hurt. It's actually supposed to feel good. So if giving hurts you, I would simply say you're not giving enough. You're not giving enough. Because there's a cheerfulness that comes with giving. Even sometimes when you have to give out of sacrifice. It's a big mission. It's the salvation of the world, by the way. It's going to require boldness on our part and big giving. So I'm calling you to boldness and to giving. As we sing this final song, this time of worship, the altar is open if you wish to come forward to pray. If you will give your heart to Christ today, I'd be delighted to welcome you into the family of the Lord. Only Jesus can bring together what's falling apart in your life. Would you give your life to him? Those of you who know what Jesus can do in a life, then you certainly know how important it is to get that message out to the world. So the baskets are here at the altar, either during this song or after this song or throughout this day. Whatever money lands in these gold baskets will be money given straight to missions. Our goal is $36,000. So uh, God bless you all as you follow the Lord and as you give your hearts and uh, and give of your wealth. Uh, Let me say a prayer and then we'll begin to worship him. It is not enough to say that you reign over all, Lord Jesus. If I cannot truthfully say that you reign in my life. It's not enough to say that your throne is higher over all the world when you may not be sitting on the very throne of my life. Help us, Lord Jesus, to surrender to you. That we might truly say that you reign over us and that you reign over all the world. Truly. You reign. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your rule. Lord Jesus, we preach Sunday after Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday nights, and we have more Bibles than we know how to count. Something is wrong. Something is wrong when others around the world are imprisoned or or beaten or jailed for simply trying to go to church or simply wanting to own a Bible. There's something wrong. When our children have heard from the moment they were born, but they're children of the world who've never heard the name Jesus. There's something wrong. And there's something wrong with us, Lord Jesus, when we become so comfortable in worshiping you here in this nice house. Forgetting about the world that is broken and waiting to hear. Lord Jesus, we can't all go, but those of us who won't go, it is our duty to send. We know, Lord, that this offering will help send. And we pray, Lord, that you'll receive whatever we can give, whatever we will give. Multiply it. Use it. May every single penny we give, Lord, be used to spread the news of salvation to all the world. Lord, there is a whole lot that we may agree and disagree on. But, Lord, help us to get one thing right. Help us to know one thing. Help us to preach one thing. The amazing truth that Jesus saves, that he saves. Lord, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house will come to know that you save. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who are saved won't sleep well 
until the whole world knows that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We pray these things in the name of the God who saves.